Amen. Acceptance, where can it be found? That's the theme of our service today. And the desire for acceptance, the need for acceptance, is universal. The longing to be included, to be valued, to be loved, is part of what it is to be human. So much so that my guess is that if you don't feel those longings acutely at the moment, it's only because you feel you already have them. You already have acceptance. A loving family, close friends, whatever it is. But how do we get it? How do we get acceptance? Where can it be found? Uh, Roger Bannister, the English athlete who in 1954 became the first person ever to run a mile in less than four minutes, uh, once said this, My athleticism was really the core to social acceptance because in those days the overwhelming number of students came from more of a public school background than I did. See, he found that there were two routes to acceptance. Uh, One was fitting in, being like those around you. And how many of us strive uh, to do just that? Sometimes even unconsciously. We end up adopting the same dress code, the same likes and dislikes, the same views on the world as those around us, so that we fit in. Uh, For Roger Bannister, though, he didn't fit in. As he says, his family background, his material wealth, uh, didn't match the norm. And so he had to have the other route, which was achievement, sporting achievement, breaking a world record, no less. Now, that's great for him, but I can't run that fast. Most of the time in Sheffield, I can't even drive that fast. I can't think of any world record that I could beat. I mean, I suppose I could turn this into the world's longest ever sermon. Although I looked up that, and I'd have to be here for more than 48 hours and five minutes. Sort of nervous laughter over there. Well, maybe one day. Well, two days. Now, acceptance from others. You see, if you want acceptance, you need to be acceptable. That's the way the world works. Acceptable either because we are like them, in which case, really, they're just accepting themselves, or acceptable because we earn it. In which case, it's never secure because we might do something to unearn it, to, to lose it. And so the true acceptance, the unconditional acceptance that we long for can elude us. Because time and again we find it carries a price tag. Our people will love us, but only if we're beautiful enough or successful enough or funny enough. And some people even find that at home, don't they? Uh, With families who give the unspoken message that you'll be accepted only so long as you get the right academic results or so long as you visit enough or so long as you produce the grandchildren. It has a price tag. And so, of course, when faced with acceptance on those terms, uh, some people say, who needs it? Life's too short. As the singer Alison Moyer said in an interview last year, uh, when I was young, I tried to fit in with the crowd. Now I'm older, I can't be bothered. And so, no, instead, self-acceptance becomes the new goal. Uh, We want to be people with self-esteem, self-awareness, self-belief, self-fulfillment, and we'll get them through self-help. Now, is God, in your view, like everyone else in this regard? Is he someone whose acceptance must be earned? 
I've met so many people who think like that, uh, that God is a bookkeeper tallying up our score. For some it leaves them overwhelmed with guilt, guilt at things done in the past which cannot be put right. And so they think God will never accept them. Uh, For others it leaves them feeling smugly self-satisfied because although God's the bookkeeper, they've been keeping their own mental tally and they think they're doing pretty well. Those who think they've earned God's acceptance are those who think they never could. Two groups that are common today, two groups that will describe us sitting here today and two groups that describe Jesus' listeners in our reading. Turn with me in the Bibles, if you've got one to hand, to Luke chapter 15. It's page 1049. Turn to what is one of the most famous short stories ever told. But before we look at the story, first have a look at who Jesus told it to. It's there in verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see two groups with Jesus. Uh, The first is the tax collectors and sinners. Uh, That is the bad people, the, the notorious people. The people who weren't accepted in society. They didn't get invited round to people's houses. Uh, They were surrounded by awkward silences and hushed whispering wherever they went. And then there's the second group, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're the good people. The pillars of the community, the religious people. They were respected, they were attractive, they were successful. And so they were accepted wherever they went. And yet to both groups, Jesus tells the same story. One of the unconditional acceptance of God. Of unconditional love. And do you see why to both groups it is totally shocking? Because to those who feel too bad for God, it says, don't worry. Acceptance is available. You don't have to earn it. And to those who do feel good enough for God, it says, do worry. Because although acceptance is available, you haven't earned it. And you can't earn it. So let's have a look again at at this story and the three main characters in it. Because the way Jesus tells the story, that that the father represents God, while the two sons represent these two groups of people. And so as he tells it, it's as though he's holding a mirror up to us and saying, this is a story about you and how you can find true acceptance. Well, let's start with the first son, uh, verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now this then is the prodigal son. Uh, The phrase which has become forever linked with this story, those will see, it's about much more than just him. Uh, I must confess, though, that until this week, I didn't really know what the word prodigal meant. Uh, I've never heard it used in any other context, and I'd never bothered to look it up, but I bothered this week. I looked it up, and it means a waster, a squanderer. It means, verse 13, where the son gets all he has, sets off, and blows the lot 
Wine, women and song. It's reckless living, a playboy lifestyle. That's what prodigal means. I guess there will be uh, some of us here today who are prodigal, either at the moment or in the past. You've lived life at this sort of level. Done things which perhaps now you look back on with shame, perhaps not. But for most of us, that, that probably won't be the case. But by general standards, we will have been much more respectable uh, than that. And yet still, I think many of us are like this younger son, because actually it's not verse 13 that gets to the heart of his problem. It's verse 12. You see that? What, what does he say to his father? He says, Dad, give me my inheritance now. Well, son, you can imagine the the father replying, it is usual to wait until your parents are dead before you get the inheritance. To which the son replies, yes, dad, that's it. I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying. You see, he wants the gifts of the father, but not him. He wants the benefits of being a son, but not the actual family relationship. He wants his independence. He wants to pack his bags and head off abroad but he wants it funded. Perhaps like the story of the couple with the student-aged son. Uh, One day the mother said, when was it that Johnny last came to visit us? And the father says, I'm sorry, I can't remember, but let me go and look it up in my checkbook. (laughs) But now remember that in this story, the father represents God, and suddenly it's a bit closer to home for us, isn't it? Because don't we time and again want the gifts of God but without him? The benefits and blessings of being part of his world, good health, loving relationships, able minds, fulfilling work, great experiences, we want those things from him, don't we? We're angry if we don't get them. But we don't want him. We want our independence. Uh, We want to live life by our own rules. We want to do whatever we like without reference to God. But we need him to fund it. God says in the Bible that we owe our every breath to him. You would not be able to take your next breath if God did not allow it. And yet we take it and we take more and then act as if God were dead. Dead to us. The younger son is not so much the prodigal son. He's the presumptuous son. Saying he wants it all in life but not the life giver. He wants the gifts of God, but not God. Is that like us? Does that describe your life so far? Because just look where it leads. Look where it led for this younger son. Verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomachs with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. See, it doesn't last. Uh, This life that the son craved, whilst thrilling for a while, is short-lived. And before long, he's got nothing. And as his money dries up, his friends disappear. And he's left as the servant of pigs. A more degrading and humiliating job for a first century Jew you could hardly imagine the father sums it up on his son's return doesn't he this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost 
and is found. You see, Jesus is saying that when you reject God like this, you end up lost, not knowing where you're going in life. And you end up like you're dead because you're missing out on what life's all about. And that's not what we think, is it? So often people think that turning to God, becoming a Christian, means throwing your life away. Giving up happiness and replacing it with boredom. Uh, Giving up vitality and, and replacing it with blandness. It may be that you're here today and you know that you're not a Christian and you know the reason. The reason is that there's something you do not want to give up. You don't think you're going to get a good exchange on the deal. Well, look, I'm not going to pretend that living a prodigal life won't hold some attraction in the short term. I think Christians can sound ridiculous if we say that sin doesn't thrill. But please hear me, it will always lead to emptiness. And where acceptance is something we long for, sin always ruins relationships and spoils life. That's why you can come across people who seem to have everything, everything that we aspire to, and yet they have nothing at all. Jason Robinson, the rugby player, is a Christian. And this is what he said in the Times shortly after winning the Rugby World Cup. When I was going out clubbing and drinking, it didn't satisfy the hunger within me. You can try to satisfy the hunger with relationships and material things, but they're only a quick fix. Okay, you can buy a nice car, but then you want a better one. Same with relationships. You always think the grass is greener on the other side. Well, it may be greener, but it still needs mowing. At 21, I had it all. Success, money, fast cars, a nice house, but I had nothing. I'd come home from training and feel empty. People could look at me in my BMW convertible and say, Jason Robinson is doing well. But I had nothing. Now, it was that realisation and the witness of a Christian friend that brought Robinson back to his senses and back to God. And so too with our younger son. See verse 17? When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. He sees what he's done. He sees what he's done to his father, to God. And he thinks he can't be accepted back. Do you see? He's too bad. And so he rehearses. Uh, father, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't be your son anymore, but, but make me your slave. Don't you rehearse when you have to say sorry? I do. It's so difficult to do. You're never quite sure what reaction you're going to get. But what about with God? If we're like this younger son, if we've lived it up, if we've enjoyed the benefits from God while shutting him out of our lives, can we be accepted back? We'll just look at the father. Verse 20. While he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's a wonderful description of the unconditional forgiveness and love that lie at the heart of God. I don't know how you picture him. Maybe it is like that bookkeeper tallying up your score. If so, you're quite wrong. Here he is like a loving father who is keeping watch for you. Waiting for you. Eyes straining to see if that dot on the horizon that's getting bigger and bigger is the child that he loves coming home. Acceptance, where can it be found? It is found in the open arms of God. We can find it there today if we will just come back to our senses and come back to him. We're not worthy to be accepted, it's true. But acceptance is what we will receive. Acceptance where God becomes our father and our friend. That relationship that that Simon spoke of earlier on. You see, this isn't just a story. This is real life. Actually, we've seen that already in verse 2. Because what did the people say of Jesus? They said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus does what the father in the story does. To the people who were bad, who had rejected God, who, who were not accepted in society, who thought they were unacceptable to the Lord, he opened his arms and welcomed them and he joined in celebrating with them. Unconditional love, true acceptance, free forgiveness and yet not without cost. For how is it that God can accept those who are unacceptable? How can he forgive those things which we cannot put right? Well, the answer lies in where Luke's gospel moves on to, where Jesus himself was headed. Because it's at the cross that forgiveness is made possible. It's at the cross that Jesus gives up the benefits of being the perfect Son of God, where he was cut off from his heavenly Father and rejected by him, so that we need not be. He takes our place so that we can be accepted so that we can become children of God. And yet there are some that don't like it. And so we come to the final character in our story, the older son. See, he comes back from work, he he hears a party going on, he's not sure what it is, and so he, he asks someone walking past, and he's told, oh, your brother is home. And he's livid. He won't go in. And when the father comes out, he says to him, verse 29, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. You see, this son doesn't want a God of unconditional love. He wants a God of conditional love. He thinks he's earned the acceptance of his father and he's angry that the waster can be forgiven. And yet what he's actually done 
is to turn being a son into being a slave. See what he says? All these years I've been slaving for you. And what have you given me? You see, he's been just as far from his father as the youngest son, and yet without going anywhere. And the the same can be true with God. You don't need to have been notorious to be far from him. You can be just as far from him by being religious. By thinking that you've earned it. That acceptance is yours by right. You've done enough. And if there is some sort of judgment day in the future, well then bring it on because you're ready. We don't put it so bluntly, I know, but we're ready with our list of things that we've done, other things we haven't done. I hear them often from families when I'm taking a funeral. Oh, he never said a bad word about anyone. She always had time for others. Nothing was ever too much for him. Everyone spoke well of her. And then there's the religious things. He always went to church. She loved songs of praise. That's a quote, I'm not making it up. Some of it, I'm sure, is true. Maybe true of you. You may be good, upstanding, maybe even outstanding in the world's eyes. You may have been part of this congregation for years, even decades. But if you think that by that you have earned God's acceptance, then you are acting like a slave and not a son. And so actually you have rejected the Father just as callously, turning a cold shoulder to his open arms of love and saying, no, I earn it, you don't give it. Have you spoken to God like that? But here's the thing, you will not earn it. And if you will not find acceptance through the free gift of God's love, the free gift of the cross, well then you will find it nowhere else. And like the older son in this story, at the end of the day you will be left on the outside, not joining in in the celebration. And yet it's not too late. Jesus tells this story to melt our cold hearts and to bring us back to him. Today, we may think that we can't be accepted because we're too bad. We may think that we don't need to be accepted because we're so good. But his story calls out to us to come to our senses, to realise what we've done, how we've turned from and rejected God, to see where that leads to emptiness, to slavery, to exclusion. And so to come home to a God who is watching and waiting to embrace us.